Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Hello and welcome to the Living Out Podcast. My name is Ashley. I'm part of the Emerging Generations team here at Living Out and we are so excited. We have taken over the podcast for this series. We are looking to equip youth leaders for this series uh, to help you guys talk with your young people about sexuality. We know it's really hard being a youth leader. I've been a youth leader for about 10 years and it's only gotten harder over that time. So youth leaders, thank you. You're doing an amazing job. And we want to equip you and serve you as you talk to your young people about sexuality. So that's what this series is aiming to do. If you're not a youth leader, though, don't switch off because you have young people in your lives and in your churches. And as we know, we all have a part to play in passing on the faith to the next generation. So this series is also going to help you equip you. And if you're a young person yourself, again, hopefully this will provide some insights, some helpful thoughts for you as you are figuring this stuff out for yourself, what you think about sexuality. If you are part of a youth team, we would encourage you to listen to this series as a team. So that might mean that you pause it right now until you're all gathered together and you can listen to it together. Or it might mean that you listen separately and then come together to discuss it afterwards and pray through some of the things we've talked about. To help you with that, we're going to have questions at the end of every episode, things for you to discuss, things for you to pray about and think about how you can apply what we've talked about to your specific context. So Youth Leaders Crash Course series, where we're we going, uh, we're going to start talking about culture. So our culture says a lot about sex and gender, as I'm sure you know. So we're going to start off by talking about how we can understand that, how we can question it wisely, how we can respond. We'll talk about how the Bible has better things to say, but how can we teach those things well? We'll cover some practicals of pastoral support. We'll take a look at gender and then we will finish by looking at mental health. Thankfully, I'm not doing all this on my own. Nobody wants that. So with me today, I have Andrew, who is also on the Emerging Generations team. I'm very excited to have Andrew here, but I am even more excited, sorry, Andrew, to have my friend Josie joining us for the first time. Welcome, guys. Hello. I'm excited to have Josie here too. (laughs) Thanks, guys. I'm just very excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. This is a dream come true. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) If we do nothing else today, we've made Josie's dreams come true. This is brilliant. So by way of introduction, Josie, as I've said, is my friend. Uh, That's not the only reason she's on the podcast. She is insightful. She is a deep thinker. She's very wise. I have benefited massively just from her input into my life and my personal discipleship. Josie's also been on the youth team with me. I don't know how many years that was, but maybe let's not try and put a number to it, Uh, but for several years. And uh, recently, I said, oh no, not recently. It's like four years ago now, isn't four it? Four years, she yeah. Moved to, four years, good grief. <laughs> COVID messes with time. Four years ago, Josie moved to Berlin. Uh, and so just has, again, some helpful thoughts on how we can navigate cross-cultural communication because she is doing that in a very literal sense on a daily basis. So that's why we've dragged her on. Well, sounds like she's willing and excited to uh, have this conversation. So we're going to ask some deep and thoughtful questions today. But before we do that, I thought I would ask a sillier one. Um, In order to kind of spread discomfort and dissension from the get go, because I know Andrew is not a huge fan of international travel and Josie has lived in several countries already. My question for you guys today is what country would you most like to live in that is not the UK? 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up first. Yeah, it's just not an easy question for me to answer. I'm not a very adventurous person. In fact, I'm probably one of the least adventurous people there is you met. Um, the one place I would quite like to visit, I don't know, well, I do kind of know why, and maybe therefore be open to living, is Austria. It's slightly random. It's not the Sound of Music link, which is what Ed would assume. It's more the Mozart <laughs> link. Um, I'm a big fan of Mozart, and I could often watch stuff about Mozart, the famous from Amadeus and stuff, and Austria just looks beautiful. And so, I don't know, a season living in Salzburg, uh, quite a Mozart opera at the moment. So getting to go to the opera house, see Mozart operas in his original home location. That does appeal to me a bit. Wow, it's a very cultured question. <laughs> it's a shame. Josie, can you top it? Well, I'm I'm really glad that you only excluded the UK. I'm just going to point that out to you. <laughs> in your question, you said anywhere but the UK. So I'm going to say Germany, of course. Good. I was going to say it'd be awkward <laughs> if you didn't say that. So that's kind of good. No, okay. no, this is my chance. I'm, uh, as Ashley said, moved to Berlin four years ago uh, to be involved in a church plant here. And I think uh, as any good church planter is, I'm incredibly excited about getting to live uh, in this beautiful city, especially during the summer. Um, anyone that comes to visit me not in the summer gets gets sick of me saying oh but you just got to come in the summer and I'm looking out the window <laughs> today at glorious beautiful sunshine we have the lakes to swim in and uh, yeah all the culture um, to enjoy I just I absolutely love living in Berlin so I'm glad I get to keep that yeah wow I think I would pick Spain um, and not for any kind of highbrow cultural reasons like the good ones you guys have just given um i just really like spanish i like the language i uh was almost fluent at one point and then i stopped practicing so i've lost most of it so i'd like to actually you know that whole cultural immersion thing and language immersion and then i would get better at it um yeah i really like barcelona i've only spent three days there so would like to spend more time there that might be where i would begin that was a lot less contentious than i thought it might be which is probably a good thing so we'll see how the rest of this conversation goes i guess so this episode we are going to be talking about the culture or the worldview that our young people are growing up in and we're going to talk about some ways we can start to think critically about it and how to engage well with it but In saying that, I may have already lost some of our listeners. Uh, They might be thinking, why on earth is this important? Why not start with what the Bible has to say about sexuality? We're not actually going to get to that point until episode three. So uh, this is my first question to you guys. Why is this helpful for youth leaders to know and to think through this idea of understanding the culture that young people are in? I think a part is because none of us are blank sheets to start with. No young person we're seeking to lead and disciple. None of us as disciples are kind of blank canvases to start with. We're all being discipled in some way, whether actually we're being disciples of Jesus or being discipled by the world and following the ways of the world. And so it's so important for, I think, for us to be aware of the ways that young people we're serving are already being formed by the world. Often without them noticing, it happens just by virtually living in the world and to kind of know what is the starting point? Where are young people at Actually, how does that clash with biblical perspective and worldview? How does it help us connect to biblical perspective and worldview? Is that thing of realizing we're not, yeah, we're not working with blank canvases. Actually, we've got to go work out where young people are at, connect to them from that starting point. Yeah, I, just, I definitely agree with what Andrew's just said, and um, that's the thing, isn't it? If someone feels something to be true, uh, that's that's always there. That's the baseline. Someone probably has a feeling if they know something's right or wrong. Um, and actually just going to the Bible and saying, oh, but the Bible says something different to say, has something different to say, um, 
probably isn't going to do a whole lot of convincing. Um, so understanding why someone uh, feels something to be true, um, which can be found in, in thinking about culture and exploring those topics is is just so helpful. And also being realistic, you know, we, we want to be talking to to people who haven't grown up in the church. We want uh, to talk to young people who who haven't really come across the Bible and probably growing up of a understanding that the Bible isn't a source of, of goodness. Um, probably already believe that the Bible is, is got things to say that, that hurt people, that has hurt people. Um, and so just coming straight away and saying, Oh, well, the Bible says this isn't going to be a very attractive prospect to, to explore. Yeah, essentially what we're doing here, isn't it, is communicating cross-culturally. So we've got our own culture that we're trying to speak to from a biblical culture or a biblical worldview. Um, and so, as these guys have said, we need to start with that common ground, not just kind of assume that that will be understood or we can speak right into it. That's some helpful, helpful thoughts, guys. Thank you. So if that's what we're doing, then we're communicating cross-culturally. What are some of the difficulties that we might face as we do that? Are there any kind of pitfalls or risks that we can avoid and mitigate and handle better, perhaps? A big one I'm noticing a lot in conversations I'm having is about um, underlying worldviews, just someone's overall perspective on the world and the kind of foundations in which everything else is built. And I'm just noticing that one of the, the difficulties we face, actually, is if someone hasn't got the worldview in place, a Christian worldview, then what Christian teaching says, what the Bible says, and something like sexuality and gender just kind of doesn't make sense. It kind of can't be, it's almost like it can't be computed. So the goodness in it can't be seen. It's very hard to embrace it and live it out if you've not got those kind of kind of underpinnings. And so this thing of being aware, what is someone's worldview? What's the cultural waters we're swimming in? How are young people being formed? And then actually, how do we need to form a Christian worldview in people as a foundation before we even getting a sense of sexuality and gender is is really key. One of the things I'm saying to youth leaders at the moment is, yes, absolutely, we need to talk about sexuality and gender, but until you've done some good stuff around Christian worldview, which is a huge range of things, the goodness of God, goodness of creation, identity, authority, scripture, all these kind of things, until young people have some of those foundations in place, Jessica doesn't work so much to talk about sexuality and gender. So one of the difficulties is just different worldviews or different kind of sets of foundations if the right foundation is not in place, none of the stuff about it about it works. So a challenge for us actually is to go to realise this is more than just sexuality and gender. There's deeper work to be done. Yeah, I think from having a lot of experience trying to communicate cross-culturally, uh, I would say that one of the biggest difficulties I've found in, in doing that is is myself, um, completely and utterly. I think um, approaching any conversation with anyone with, with humility uh, it's a real challenge to us, um, you know, just, just being honest about it. I'm, you know, struggle with, with pride. I think we all do as humans. And so when we come to talking to people who are different to us, who have grown up in, in, in different cultures, um, just overcoming that, that, uh, yeah, I want to be humble. I want to be inhabiting someone else's perspective i want to be able to uh quieten <laughs> what my what my own perspective says and and really listen first um and not assume the questions that that people have um and and what andrew's saying they're not assuming that i'm sharing the same worldview um or that i understand the worldview of the person that i'm talking to um but being able to yeah be humble, listen uh, before I speak um, 
and and work out what questions people have um rather than just trying to answer the ones that i assume they do have i love that it's also it's it's having the humility to say what's good in what a person already believes what even yeah challenges some unhelpful beliefs in me i think it's easy i'm slowly getting a bit older it's easy as a person of a slightly older generation to think oh you know these young people have got it all wrong we've got to sort all this out but actually so much for us to learn from them and and lots of the things that are common among this cohort of young people are really good but it's things they care about and the way they might want to see the things they care about kind of worked out in practice we might disagree with might want to nuance that in line of biblical teaching but actually i think a lot of the heart behind what young people are thinking and saying these days is really good and it's quite a helpful challenge actually to some of us and so i love the point of humility because it's also kind of not not just how can i have the humility to learn about you but to learn from you and be challenged by you as well i think one of the uh, difficulties i've found in the past is language both in terms of if i'm speaking to someone who is you know, from a like speaking an actual different language like Spanish or German, uh, but then as well, just in communicating with people in the same language can actually cause more problems because you assume that you both mean the same things by the words that you're using. Whereas um, we've all had that experience, haven't we? Where you get ten minutes into a conversation with someone and you're both getting equally baffled more and more, and then you finally pause and you say, "Hang on, what do you mean when you use this word?" And it turns out they meant something completely different to you and you were having two different conversations. I think that's so true when we come to this area. We need to clarify our language, both in terms of kind of the the definition of terms to do with sexuality, to do with gender. But I think also the risk goes the other way when we start, I call it Christianese, when we start using really biblical words. Like you, you you can't just go to someone who has never read the Bible, has never been to church and start talking about something like sanctification. Like that, it, that, that word doesn't make any kind of sense. Or we talk about being washed by the blood of the lamb, which is, you know, biblical. But if you pause and think about that language to someone who's <laughs> never heard it before. Yeah. So I think just thinking about the words that we use and even, yeah, asking that question, what do you mean by this word or this phrase? Or how do you think about that? As Josie said, just seeking to understand somebody else's perspective and worldview a bit more through the words that they use, I think is crucial. Yeah, I think we can apply that really easily within our own culture too. If anyone's had a conversation with uh, their grandparents or an older generation in the church, you, I've worked out quickly that the the words we're using or we're comfortable with using, they're um, yeah, incredibly different. <laughs> but also I think any, any youth leader um, has found it's actually a really fun way to to show what we were talking about before with with humility if you ask kids what they mean by words they're using and be prepared to admit that you have no idea about the uh the latest words in the vocabulary um it's a really nice way to connect brilliant thanks guys we're holding another one of our popular webinars for church leaders and this one's on singleness I'll be talking through some of the benefits and challenges of being single and how churches can best support people who are single for a whole variety of reasons. There's also going to be plenty of time for Q&A. It's an hour session on Thursday the 6th of July from 1 till 2pm and it's free but you've got to sign up at livingout.org events. Right, so we're now going to take a look at how our young people are making moral decisions. Obviously, that's so informed by our culture. It feeds back into our culture. And when we're talking about sexuality and gender, it is moral decisions that young people are making. To help us look at that, we are going to be using a book by Jonathan Haidt called The Righteous Mind, which is 
uh, throughout it, he is building a moral framework, kind of explaining how we make decisions, moral decisions as human beings. And he argues for six moral foundations that we use individually and across cultures, but we use with different emphasis. And so in the show notes, we will have a beautiful graphic for you that will illustrate some of that for you. Uh, We have those six foundations outlined. But I will turn to Josie and ask, what are the primary ways based on this framework that our teens are making moral decisions? So the first one is about care or harm. So asking the question, does this hurt anyone? Um, if if something is right, then it's going to not cause harm to anyone else. And conversely, if it's if it's wrong, we can see how it's harming people, and how this plays out um, specifically in in sexuality. And um, will be you know if two adults are in a consensual relationship, that's not harming anyone, so can't be wrong. Um, and I think for for our young people specifically, um, compared to when when I grew up, there are far more um, a broad variety of relationships that we're seeing in in media that are portrayed as not causing harm to anyone. So I think this this sort of conviction is only going to be um, growing in the in the next generation. So that's yeah, care and harm does it does it hurt anyone? The next foundation um, would be fairness, asking the question of. Does everyone have the same rule? Is this um, is this the same rule for all? Um, and yeah, if, again, if we apply that to to sexuality, you're saying how can you deny same sex attracted people the same relationship, the same intimacy, the same um, that that we're seeing in in heterosexual couples? Yeah, and then the next one would be freedom. So, Andrew, why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Sure, yeah. Freedom, yeah, it's huge, isn't it? In our cultural thinking for young people, I guess the ethical question becomes, is anyone being oppressed? And if there's oppression happening, something is wrong, something is bad. And I guess because in our culture, we believe freedom is the freedom to do whatever we want, follow every desire, act on everything. Anything that says I shouldn't do that is oppressive to me. And also, because our culture says who we are is what we feel inside, that's the real us, Anything that wages against that is oppressive to me. Even my body potentially is oppressive to me on that kind of understanding. So freedom's complex because what freedom means can mean different things. Again, like we said, language is complex, different meanings. But actually in our cultural context, and I think many young people think it's freedom is I can be who I want to be. I can do what I want to do. I can follow every desire. Therefore, anything that oppresses that or stops that is immoral actually is bad you can quickly begin to see okay there's going to be some problems here with christian belief which restricts actually where there should be sexual expression that would seem to be oppressive and i think it's one of the reasons young people can struggle with christian belief thanks guys so yeah those are the we're saying out of these six moral foundations those are the three that people in our culture in the west in the uk specifically our young people as well when we're making moral decisions those are the kind of appeals that we make and the questions that we ask and the way that we judge is something right or wrong but there is of course this other end of the spectrum that jonathan height outlines um these other three three foundations uh, again perhaps andrew could you outline what they are for us and then maybe we can think about how those apply to our young people. Why Why would we talk about them right now if we've just said the first three are the main three? 
Yeah, yeah. These three are what someone at height would say are more in kind of traditional societies rather than kind of modern liberal societies um, and historic societies as well. And their loyalty, authority, and sanctity. And I think young people do believe in some of these, but shaped by those first three, things always kind of nuanced. So there's there's the loyalty thing. Actually, is this being loyal to the right person or group? And so, particularly in a traditional historic society where it's very community focused, your ethics are based around actually. actually are we being loyal to the group? Are we doing the right thing for the group? I think young people are still thinking that way, but I think it's oppressed groups which have become the particular thing. Again, one of the good things about this cohort of young people, they really care about people and they care about justice because they care about fairness, as we said. They care about harm, people not being harmed. And therefore, groups that have been or have been deemed to be oppressed are kind of particularly important in a sense to young people. And loyalty to those groups, I think, is where young people would would bring loyalty into, into that. Loyalty to a wider society, maybe not, because wider society might be oppressing your freedom, I think, actually, if freedom is this ability to act on every desire and stuff. So loyalty, as with so many of these, is quite a nuanced one. Authority, a bit of a simpler one, kind of what does an authority say would be the question there. The question, of course, then comes to which authority you're going to listen to and do you actually really believe authority is a, a good thing? And so a, a society that puts a high emphasis on authority could be a political authority, could be religious authority. For us as Christians, it would be God and his revealed will in the scriptures. But we know young people today, many of them are quite anti-authority, again, for good reason. They have observed the fact there have been so many abuses of authority. There's a really understandable suspicion of authority among young people. And so actually the idea that authority might tell you how to live your life just kind of doesn't compute, doesn't feel comfortable, I guess. But I think Jesus helps us here because Jesus is the beautiful example of supreme authority, never misused, never abused and we get to show young people that Jesus shows us authority isn't a bad thing authority actually can be good for us can be done in love and the final one probably the most complex one to get our heads around is the concept of sanctity which in our culture just doesn't exist much anymore this is kind of does well, sanctity is about specialness in a sense and so does a moral decision uphold the specialness of certain things is the concepts of holiness the concept of kind of cleanness and such like not hugely prominent in our culture, but hugely prominent in a Christian worldview because there is a God who is um, holy, who is separate and other, and we want to be like him. And so again, it's actually a kind of a new concept we have to help young people get their heads around, I guess, to engage with and understand something of Christian belief. Brilliant. Thank you. So how, if we understand this framework then, and we're trying to communicate cross-culturally to our young people, how can this framework help us as we do that? I think it's it's going back to what we talked about earlier of finding the questions that young people are really asking and being able to to listen and as 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 we said to encourage them in the things that they do care about that they um they are connected to you know we actually believe the bible is the got the the answer for how we to, can care for people best we believe that it's the source of of all justice that we can find um fairness there we believe that jesus is the one that truly sets us free from everything these are all things that we we absolutely care about and and can connect to so um it actually it will open up a 
a discussion where we can be on the the same page in a way that's not possible if if you skip over thinking about um what this actually means and what's what's the heart of why um people have come to the moral decisions that they have to and gives us a a, a way we can engage with that and what you beautifully illustrated there with those examples is how this helps us to talk with each other not talk talk past each other if a young person really only cares about care and harm and fairness and uh, freedom, but actually I'm coming with authority, you're talking past each other. It's just not kind of going to work. So actually I've got to think, you know, to use a musical analogy, I've got to think, how do I transpose this truth I want to communicate you, to you into the key that you are singing or, or playing in? But I always think it's a really nuanced thing. On the one hand, we want to learn to talk in the language or sing in the key young people are to connect to those things. But also we want to help them be formed into a Christian worldview where actually all of these different approaches to morality are important with authority, authority of God actually being at the top of the pile. So it's a difficult both and. I want to communicate to you in the ways that you're thinking and I also want to be kind of shaping you into the Christian way of thinking, which does mean authority is important and it's that the most important. Sanctity also very important and the other things that are there. So it's this delicate balance. I want to talk to you where you're at and I want to help you move forward to come to where Jesus is in a sense, where how Jesus calls us to think and live. That's really good. And, and I love the ways that is encouraging us to have the the discussion with young people in a way that we're we're not scared um we're yeah moving them on into um into a place that's discipleship it's just a really exciting conversation about discipleship and uh, and loving the bible i'd also say that um it's a a great way to be engaging with parents um a thing we can often forget with youth leaders um but actually a lot of the the concerns I think parents have is around engaging with with culture and with how their own young people and the friends around them are uh, are coming to the yeah moral decisions or um how we want to phrase it that they are coming to and so and this can equip us to have conversations with our young people and it can also give us ways to help encourage parents um to be engaging as well that's wonderful, thank you guys for your wisdom. Um, before we finish, any resources that you'd recommend for people who'd like to keep thinking about our culture, how young people are growing up? Obviously, Jonathan Haidt's book is is uh, on that list, but any others? We talked earlier about the importance of just kind of getting to understand that humility to learn and understand where young people are at, what they're thinking and stuff. And just in go- engaging actually the popular culture, the kind of things young people are going to engage with and listen to, watch and stuff is really helpful. We put all examples there. So two old highlight, two Netflix series, um, Sex Education, the few series are out now. An interesting insight into one person's assumption, I guess, of what young people are thinking about sex in a kind of sixth form college context, but very helpful, I think, also to some of the narratives around sex. And a, a different type of series, but again, a Netflix series called Heartstopper, which is an adaptation of a graphic novel about two young lads who form a relationship in a school context. And again, very helpful narratives. Both of those, actually, I think we've got kind of blogs we can link to in the show notes. So we've reflected a bit on those two series. Yeah, a couple books from me. Uh, Patrick Ness is an incredible author. I don't think this is his best book, so please don't judge him on it. But he's written a book called Release, which um, kind of gives a good insight into perhaps what the the reaction that young people might expect from a church. Uh, It's the story of a young man whose father is a pastor and it's kind of a day in his life and they find out about his gay relationship and things like that. Just how they respond to him might be quite eye-opening. 
There's also a book called iGen by Jean M. Twenge, uh, where she's tracking generational shifts in several areas. This one's nonfiction, unsurprisingly. She's tracking generational shifts in uh, various things, including attitude to sex. And so that can just be a really interesting perspective on how, yeah, how views on sex and various things have changed across generations and how this coming generation might view things. And I just say that I have no recommendations myself, but I always always recommend youth leaders to ask their own youth uh, what they're consuming because it it might surprise you. Um, We can often assume that youth are into uh, the most trending uh, series on Netflix, but uh, you might have kids who are really into classical literature at the moment, um, in which case talk to them about that. Ashley would be her own if that happened. (laughs) I would. That, That would be my dream. Wonderful. So as promised, then the questions for you and your team to be thinking about praying through before the next episode. Question number one for you, where are your teens in terms of sexuality? What are the specific ideas that they might be holding to? Question two, what is the impact of those ideas on the individuals in your group? And that's the ones who are gay, the ones who are straight, wherever they are in terms of their sexuality. How is the culture in which we're living impacting them? And then thirdly, how might you begin to respond to the messages of our culture? In thinking about that, that will lead you nicely in preparation to our next episode, where we will be discussing some of those specific cultural messages that our young people are hearing and how we might respond to those with biblical truth. Before you go, we have a special treat for you. We've got some bonus interviews this series with people involved in youth work and youth ministries across the UK, even internationally. So Settle back and have a listen to what our interviewee today has to say. Hello, Andrew here, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Mike Snowden for a quick chat about youth ministry and all things sexuality and gender. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Why not just tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and especially about your work, your experience working with teenagers? Well, I'm in Sydney at the moment, and I work in a local church with a great group of 20 teenagers or so, and we read the Bible together. They're in high school, uh, and I love seeing them grow in Jesus. I've been here about a year or so. The last nine years, I was working with teenagers in Spain with the Christian movement there, GBE, and the same thing. We'd walk alongside those teenagers, helping them to grow in Jesus and share Jesus with others. Brilliant, brilliant. And I've got to know Mike over the last kind of hour, but also through reading his book recently, um, A New Freedom, which is kind of a an introduction to Christian ethics, particularly aimed at young people. And is a brilliant resource. I recommend people to get hold of it. And one of the things kind of I kind of noticed in that, Mike, is you really think it's important we help young people see the Bible isn't only true, but is also good. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about why that's so important in our work with teenagers. For me growing up, I reckon that was the fundamental thing that I needed to grasp for myself to own my faith. So my mum was a Christian, took me along to church, and I knew Jesus was true and my saviour. But I was walking a slightly different road, and that that needed to grow and, and change. I, I needed to mature but not in the sense of seeing myself as the center of everything that everything needed to revolve around, but that it was Jesus. In order to do that, though, I needed to see him as the one who could offer true freedom in every sense, that his way, compared to all the way that my friends were living and all the things that they were doing, that his way was always better and was good. 
that was hard sometimes because I'd see the things that my friends were doing and, and they seemed to be having fun. And not only that, but they seemed to be pursuing things like justice, things like freedoms, things like mm. pursuing the things that you want in life. And those were good things. And so, but I needed to see that Jesus offered something more than that, that he had those good things, but that his word would always show me something better than what the world offered. And so I needed to discover that in his word for myself, such that I knew that anything that I encountered in my life, I could always go to his word and see that it was going to be good and lead me through. Brilliant. We want young people to develop genuine relational trust, not just kind of blind obedience. Because genuine relational trust will keep you through. And how in your experience of working with young people, then, have you sought to help young people develop that understanding or experiencing appreciation of the goodness of God's word? I think the hard thing with this is that just takes time. So for me, it was growing up. I think it's the same for many others in their story as Christians. It's generally a story of a journey as they mature and grow in their understanding of God's word. But that's not just usually a click where they've gone, oh, I suddenly understand everything as if they're on the road to Emmaus or something like that. And Jesus has suddenly appeared and boom, oh, wow, I finally understand the whole Bible for myself. They've they've read it and they've read it with others and they've compared it to their world and they've seen the goodness of them, of God in his word for themselves. And I think that's one of my biggest aims, which is completely frustrating as well as um, a <laughs> wonderful privilege as in to be able to Week in, week out, read the Bible with teenagers, see them wrestle for themselves or or see them sometimes just completely not interested, but know that you can come back to it every week or every day and be walking through with them, showing them that same confidence that you're going, this is God's good word. It's going to be good for you and you're going to see that. So let's just keep working through it together and see the way that God has laid out this beautiful work through history of bringing the world to himself under jesus yeah it's that taste and see thing isn't it we're encouraged to do in the scriptures you experience the goodness of god by yeah engaging with his word seeing it and experiencing it actually just reading your book over the weekend and you you beautifully portray the bible's big story and it was just really refreshing for me to be refreshed again the bible's big story is beautiful actually it, it warms your heart actually of just the the way yeah god has pursued us and, and rescued us in that way and i think back on my own experience of being a teenager wrestling with my sexuality and i'm so glad that while i was doing that People are also helping me to get into the Bible. And actually, I have an Australia link here. And I thought oh. this, I gave up watching Neighbours to have <laughs> daily time reading my Bible and engaging with God. But generally, it was reading the Bible. It helped me yeah, to taste the goodness of God. And so I was agreeing with what you're saying. And it reminded me, oh, yeah, that, that's what it was like. <laughs> me well, that's brilliant. I'm glad Australia provided something that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or made way of something. Another thing I, I love that you say is just the importance of not giving just kind of simple short answers to yeah. the kind of questions young people have. Just talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, well, to put it uh, in the brief form, I'd say I, I really want to strive for giving not just statements, but stories. And so as in, uh, so when when a, a, a teenager comes to me with some sort of um, question or, or thing about a particular issue, I'm not going to respond to them usually straight away with some sort of knockdown argument because I'm I'm sure that that's never going to suddenly convince them and they'll suddenly go, oh, yeah, that's of course that's true. I want to see them grow and wrestle for themselves. And so usually it's a, it's a story that helps them through that mm-hmm. process. 
Um, and I think that's often the way that Jesus seemed to do it in practice, but also through his life. And that's often the way that we then experience things is through our own story. And so it's not minimizing the nature of your story that you live alongside those teenagers. It's often going to be those relationships and things that they watch that's going to persuade them or that's going to show them the goodness of God's word lived out rather than just some particular one sentence that they've heard. Um, God, of course, can do anything by the power of his spirit. And yet he somehow seems to regularly choose to use the lives of normal, broken, weak people like me and you who walk alongside these teenagers and and disciple them, uh, that share their lives with them and share their story with them of growing in Jesus. Yeah, that's so helpful. So encouraging. And just finally, if you could give one piece of advice to the youth leaders and others who engage with young people listening in and thinking they want to engage well with the topics of sexuality and gender, what would that advice be? The one bit of advice I'd give is to keep trusting God in his goodness to use your weakness to do far more than you can imagine. I find that the hardest thing to do is to be patient with teenagers when they're, when they're you know, bringing across some sort of frustrating statement or uh, or they're just doing things where you go, oh, what are you doing? What do I, please don't do that. <laughs> and you look back on your own life and go, no, that was me. But I want to keep reminding myself that I'm there to be with them and that I'm there to trust God to do his work in their lives as they grow through the rest of their lives. And to remember, I'm not going to see the end of my work because I'm older than them. So likelihood is I'm going to die before them. And so I won't know if they've persevered in Jesus or not, but I can trust God to do his work. Mm. And so I really want to be patient and know that it's not any one statement that's going to win it, but it's going to be the story of my life and the story of the work of God's spirit in their lives. Amen. That's so good. Thank you. Mike, this has been a really quick chat. Where can people hear more from you? Tell us about the book and the website as well. Well, you can go to anewfreedom.net. That's where you can both get a link to where you can purchase the book as well as all the different resources that are there. So there's a bunch of studies where you get an introduction to the the book without having to buy the book to to read it, but you can use that in youth groups. There's videos. There's all sorts of things uh, like that. And you can then have a a read through and uh, think through whether or not that could be a resource for your youth or for you personally. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to hear from you and have a chance to learn from you. Thanks so much, Andrew. Good to chat. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much to all of our guests. Thank you to you for listening. Do subscribe, share, rate our podcast and do take a moment to sign up for the Youth Leader Network if you haven't done that already. Uh, You will get some regular email updates in that with some key resources. You can submit your own questions and we will answer those and a bunch of other exciting things in there. So do take a minute to sign up for that. Next time, we're going to be discussing some specific cultural messages that our young people are hearing and talk about how we might respond to those messages with biblical truth. We look forward to you joining us then. Bye for now.